I want to thank ReviewBiz for sponsoring today's episode. By the way, did you know that reviews are today's digital word of mouth? It's also one of the most valuable business and marketing assets you have. If you're not maximizing your review strategy, then ReviewBiz platform can help you. Let ReviewBiz inspire your members to give you your first five reviews for only $1. To get started, just go to reviewbiz.io forward slash try. Don't lose faith just because you don't understand why something's happening at the time. Things happen and then you might understand later. It might be years before you understand why something happened. Things happen for a reason. But just because they happen for a reason doesn't mean that I'm going to understand the reason at the moment which it happens. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Gym Owners Grow Zone Podcast. I'm your host, Andres Escobar, and I'm so ready to share this episode and the conversation I had with our guest, Roger Harvey. Roger is a fitness industry veteran with over 30 years of experience, and he's worked with various companies in different stages of growth, from small startups to large corporations. Roger holds a movement science degree from the University of Michigan, and he finds joy in helping others, as so do I. Whether it's in managing a business, developing talent, or training his clients, his purpose is to help others, and he strives to fulfill it every day. Notably, he served as the COO of no other than Crunch Fitness, overseeing its growth from three small studios to 27 gyms in six different states. So before we dive in deeper, a lot of pre-production work and editing goes into producing an audio and video podcast like this. Moving forward, we're going to be releasing a ton more gym growth strategies and offers from our guests and sponsors. So go ahead and subscribe or follow us on the platform that you're listening to right now. You know, we really appreciate your support and truly thankful for it. So when you're listening to the show and you think of a friend, do them a favor and share it with them because we all know sharing is caring. And it's really just a nice thing to do around here. My last ask is simple. We all know ratings and reviews are really helpful for any business and podcast. We would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us some feedback in the form of a review, which would help us reach a wider audience and improve the show for you. Now, as we dive into Roger's episode today, I'm really intrigued to get your opinions and your thoughts about what Roger's going to share with us. So let's go ahead and jump in and listen to our conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to the Gym Owners Grow Zone. I'm your host, Andres, and I want to welcome our guest, Roger Harvey. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate you. And this is such a great opportunity to to really talk to somebody that has been in the industry for a long time and can talk to our audience on how to build and grow a gym. And Harvey, I don't know if I, you have like a last name for first name and, and so, yeah, it happens all the time. It's it happens all the time, right? So yeah. I was, I'm also named after a couple of famous movie rabbits: Roger Rabbit, Harvey the Rabbit. Yeah, but yeah, Roger. Hey, you. I answer to a lot of names. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you being, you know, such a great guest. Roger, 
tell us a little bit about yourself. Share with our audience who you are, your origin story, how you got to where you are right now. All right. It's a pleasure to be here, Andres. So thank you. And thank you to everybody that's investing their time to listen to our conversation today. I hope that they find it helpful. I was raised in the Midwest, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and went to school at the University of Michigan, have a degree in movement science. I was drawn to a larger city and moved to New York after graduating from college. And I had a degree in movement science, but I didn't really know what I was going to be doing with it. The fitness industry in 1991 looked a lot different than the fitness industry looks right now. A lot different, but at the same time, there are some similarities, which we may get into, where it's sort of, I've heard it said that history may not repeat itself, but it often rhymes. So there are trends and patterns that were happening then, but be more accurate to say I wasn't necessarily aware of them. And I moved to New York. My first job was working at the front desk in a gym, was working at the front desk of a bodybuilding gym in Midtown Manhattan, Hell's Kitchen called Mid-City Gym. It's still there. Vince Consalvo. I'll always remember Vince. Great guy. First person to give me a job in this industry. And he was the first mentor I had in the industry and started to teach me you know, how the business operates. And I moved on to the fitness company. And then the, I was there until working at a gym at the World Trade Center until the World Trade Center was bombed in 1993. Um, this is 93, right? So this is prior to you know, you know, several years before 9-11, but I was there when the bomb happened. In fact, I had just finished my lunch about 15, 20 minutes before the bomb went off. I finished my lunch on a sub-basement level of the complex. The bomb went off under the hotel where the fitness center I was working at was located. So it was a really impactful moment in my life. And especially so now because it happened in February 26, 1993. So every year in February, that comes back to me a little bit. It's a little bit of PTSD, like, oh, wow, you know, like, you know, if I lunch a half an hour later, you know, I'm, I might not be here to have this conversation. And also learn the important things about operating a business and how important emergency action procedures are. And was really, a, you know, but operations were in science, like that was, it came from movement science and operations really suited my blue collar background. My very first job in my life was picking weeds in a vegetable garden in Northern Michigan. So I'm literally not afraid to get my hands in the dirt. And then I joined a company called Crunch Fitness, which was uh, at the time a little boutique studio chain of three locations. And wow. uh, the owner had a real vision. He shared it with me and with an amazing team of people that we attracted there over the course of time, I were able to build that company into something that continues to grow and do great things today. And I've been in the industry ever since. How did you get from working in the World Trade Center to Crunch Fitness? How did how'd you get there? So the gym at the World Trade Center was closed. As a, yeah. it, was, it sat on top of the Vista Hotel, which was located directly between the two Twin Towers. And the bomb went off directly under the hotel. That's where the parking garage was, where the bomb was located. And so while the towers were able to reopen, the hotel was closed and, uh, for a long time. And so the fitness center that I worked at was closed. And I was working within an organization, a great organization called The Fitness Company. And people were to go back and check some of the members of that team from The Fitness Company back in the early 90s. It was quite a roster. I look at that at some of the people, what they've gone on to accomplish in this industry. There are some real superstars. So I felt very honored to be a part of that organization early on. They moved me to a couple of different locations, doing some work in Jersey and some other Manhattan locations. But I, that sort of spurred the change. And so I was looking for something different to do. And, and Crunch was the opportunity that I found. 
you know, I started as a general manager of the 83rd Street location, which is still open today, I believe. And I was quickly promoted to chief operating officer running the three again, small studios initially. And then we grew the business from there. And it just reminds me, you know, there's gym owners out there that only have two locations, three locations. And, you know, it just takes me back to what I remember hearing is don't despise small beginnings, right? Sometimes we're like, oh man, I'm not where I want to be. Listen, just hold on to that vision, you know, move forward, full sail ahead, go get it. That's right. I mean, every business earned its first hundred dollars, right? Apple computers earned it. They, before they've earned a billion dollars, at some point they earned a hundred dollars and then they earned $200. That's how it works. And so remembering that, it helps even the playing field. They go, oh, okay, I'm just at a different part of my journey. And you're right. Believing in the vision is probably the most important thing you can do. If you don't believe in it, nobody else is going to. Yeah, 100%. 100%. That's so good. Yeah. I tell people, you know, bring the energy because if you don't bring it, nobody else is going to bring it. If you don't believe it, nobody else is going to believe it. I mean, come on. It starts with you. So that's love that. And we have turns, right turns, left turns, ups and downs. It's so many bobs and weaves that we have to do. You know, in your progress, in your journey, where was it where you had these guardrails, these tracks that kept you going? It could be something or it could be someone, but something that helped you get the progress that you were able to achieve, the success you were able to get. What would you say that would be, Roger? Well, it's interesting. My answer would be different over the course of time. As my level of awareness has changed and I've become more, have more clarity on my belief systems. So, I'm a person of faith. And so I would say that the thing that's gotten me, that's been supporting me the whole time is God. And that means a different thing to a lot of different people. And it doesn't mean that that I have some of my, one of my brothers is a devout atheist. I have some of my favorite conversations that I can have are with him. And, but he, for me, he's a part of God, right? It's family and it's this family that I have that I'm supported by. And I've, you know, I didn't always recognize and appreciate it. And as my journey has progressed, I, I've been developing sort of a curriculum that I follow. I call it the, my level four awareness training program. And this, so this level is for awareness training. It helps you practice living by learning to go more slowly so that you can recognize your options and then choose the path that's best for you. And when I was younger, I didn't always, I was often interested in going faster, not necessarily slower. And as I'm learning to slow down, I'm recognizing more. I appreciate things much more because I realize how amazing and magical this whole uh, entity is that or this life is that we're a part of. And it's amazing. So it's not just one person, the people who are closest to me, you know, my daughters, my parents, my family, my fiance. You know, it's, it's a progression and there are people there and it's learning to go more slowly so that I recognize who's supporting me. And then I give back to those people. Helps me fulfill my purpose, which is helping others. That's good. So what I'm taking from that is that the people became your tracks. People that you surrounded yourself and and also God as well. Yeah. Surround yourself with the best possible people and do everything you can to make their day better, to make their experience better, to help them find their success. And the rising tide is going to lift all boats. And as long as you're doing that consistently, finding a way to live a story that solves problems, you know, solving problems is a valuable skill and problems have always existed. They will always exist. There'll always be new ones. And so it's just, you're eliminating a lot of the noise and the clutter and the distraction and just focusing on these basics. This is not the answer that I would have given 
you know, had you asked me 20 years ago, right? I was immersed in a lot of other things, but I look at it now and I have a different perspective because again, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. I'm recognizing patterns. And so I may not know exactly what's going to happen next, but I'm getting a better idea of it. And I might realize that, well, that, I've already gone down that rabbit hole. I don't need to experience it again because I have a pretty good idea where it's going to lead. And I can stay focused on the things that are more important to the, the priorities that I've set for myself, the goals and objectives that I've set for myself. I find you know, we're talking about gym owners and how do they set themselves up for success. It's about setting goals, doing your best to achieve those goals, understanding that failure is not an option because it's a requirement. And I like that. It's a requirement. Yeah. And, and then learning, having the hum- sort of developing and practicing the humility to get back up after a failure and keep going. I heard it said once, uh, I don't know who the quote is attributed to, but they said that success is having the ability to go from one failure to the next with no loss of enthusiasm, right? And those yeah. failures, because every failure, failure is an opportunity for you to learn. And lessons and education is... The value of that is amazing because now you can apply that learning to other people. The tricky thing is you having the courage to stand for something, to remember some of those more difficult times. It's easy to remember the fun and the success, but it's much more important and more valuable to remember the failures and the mistakes so that you can learn from those. You can share those with the people that you're working with so that you can help them avoid making those same mistakes. is a beautiful word to hear when you're scoring on the soccer field. This last World Cup was won by Argentina because of one important player. Yeah, you got it. It was the goalie. He secured the win for the team. And in the same way, ReviewBiz platform will catch negative reviews before they go online. In addition, it helps you score and promote fresh new reviews so you can crush the competition. So don't let those big box gyms take your clients. ReviewBiz will help you build your online presence and turn your own members into your best sales reps. Get your first five reviews for only $1. All you got to do is go to reviewbiz.io forward slash try to get started. Yeah, that segment right there is solid. I bet you some people are like, hit the 30 second back, go back. We hear that again. I know it's, I know I will for sure. So can you help us recall a time in your life where you had an obstacle or challenge that you had in your business that you were able to overcome it? Like share with us how you overcame that obstacle, you know? Well, I mean, they happen every day. They they, they happen every day. They're going to happen again tomorrow. Um. The first way that you're going to, the best way to solve a problem is to accept the problem. Accept that the problem exists. If the problem exists, the solution must also exist. And so there's always a path. There's always a path to figuring things out. And so I've been part of some crisis management situations a number of times in my career. And so sometimes the solution means that you have to be prepared to share what may be perceived as very bad news to the shareholders of an organization. But if, but that's, but it is a necessary step on the journey to fixing the problem is accepting the problem. This is the problem. Yeah. We're losing too much money. We're spending too much money in the wrong areas. And, but often people are conditioned by society, I find, to 
because they're afraid of, if they admit making mistakes, they're afraid that the mistakes are going to be game over. They're going to be done. That they might lose their job. What they don't realize is that the, that a really strong management team and an ownership group, they're there to support you. And they can, they're probably, they're in that position in management or ownership because they're probably really good at solving problems, but it's difficult to solve problems that you're not aware of. And so, I mean, I've had all kinds of issues. I mean, I could go on with some stories from, you know, through the length of my career, but the, say, there's not one particular one that comes up to mind right now. It's maybe terminating somebody's employment is actually a good example. Yeah. Tell us about that. Cause that's, I like for the audience to take like, some really tangible strategies. Right. So here's that, an yeah. important takeaway. Let's because you're going to have you're going to recruit people to the team and you're going to hire them. I've never hired anybody that I thought was going to fail. Never. Because if I thought they were going to fail, I wouldn't have hired them. <laughs> but I've hired at this point in my career, 30 plus years, I've hired I'm guessing thousands of people. Sure. And a lot of them have failed in the jobs that I've hired. A lot have been successful phenomenally successful. But I've also had a lot of people who weren't successful. And so I look at that and I, I do a study of it. Like, well, why did that happen? What could I have done differently? How can I do it differently next time so that it doesn't happen? And I find that the process of understanding expectations is something that I've really learned to practice. So I make the expectations clear to somebody of what the job requires. And when we do that, the more we focus on clearly organizing the expectations of a position, communicating those to the person that we're working with, educating them on how those expectations are going to be met, evaluating them afterwards to determine have the expectations been met or not, and then modifying our expectations so that we go forward when we do this lap again, we're just going to keep going around, we're going to do it again. When tomorrow comes, modify the plan and we're going to make improvements. And that's the process of evolution. So what I find with a good takeaway, when a lot of people feel bad when they have to have a disciplinary type of conversation with an employee, but if somebody's doing something wrong and you don't clearly tell them that they're doing something wrong, then eventually they're going to end up losing their job. And you're not their friend. You're not helping them whatsoever. The best thing that you can do is actually give them that feedback, that constructive feedback, but practice doing it in a tactful and respectful and professional way where there's empathy and there's concern and caring saying, I'd like you to, do you like your job? Would you like to keep your job? I'd like you to keep your job. But in order for you to keep your job, these are the expectations that have to be met. And what can I do to help you meet those expectations that I'm not doing right now? Is there a disconnect? And I found that as I practice that methodology more and more, that at such a point that if I have to let somebody go to, to, from a company, terminate their employment at the company's choice, not their own, generally, the process is easier because they know it's coming. Like we've had this conversation several times before. So don't be afraid of those conversations that may be uncomfortable, that may be difficult, that you might not be good at, that you might not have been trained for. But those are the things that are going to really make a difference because you have to explain to people what you expect. And then they're going to t- and then ask them, what do you expect of us as a company? And often there's a disconnect. And the more we focus on that, the, the better things get. I love this because in my mind, we just hired two new salespeople. So I don't know if you guys out there are thinking like, okay, did I do this? Did I do this? Did I, you know, and I always tell them, hey, this might be, you know, just a stepping stone in your journey to where you're going, or it could be your place forever for a while, right? You know, two years, five years, who knows? But, you know, I always want to align with them like, hey, what do you want out of this job? Does this help you find fulfillment and all this stuff? Because it's super important. You know, my son is actually with us here. 
the office and studio. And, you know, he, I have a, a friend that has a, a restaurant and I left them there for this morning. And he's there like, dad, I have nothing to do. I'm not being useful. And I'm like, I don't know. Let me see. And we find out. Then he found something to do. And I was like, then he left me alone. And he's like, focus. And he's happy doing something that like, if you're not being felt useful, it's, it's a hard place to be. And you know, when you- I believe that most people would like to be successful. Yeah, of course. So, so if you explain to them what they need to accomplish in order to be successful, and you can explain it to them in a way so that they believe that they can actually accomplish it, even if it's something that they've never done before, then that's great. And now they may fail the first time. Again, failure is a requirement. There's going to be failure. We train the body to the point of failure, and then the muscles get stronger. And we train, let's train our business the same way that we train the body, knowing that we're going to push it to the point of failure sometimes. It's something to break, and then we get better as we go forward. Like that's what we're doing. That's you said it's gym growth, right? It's we're growing. It's a living your business is a living, breathing thing, this entity around you. And yeah, I do here's a, here's an example that comes to mind. Several years ago now, so my mind might be embellishing or modifying some of it, but it's it's a relatively accurate telling of a story that happened. So I had I was working with a personal training manager who was not meeting his goals, and we sat down and we break down the numbers. Okay, this is the revenue goal that we need to achieve, and the average sale that we're bringing in is this amount. And so in order, and, and then so we know how many sales we have to have in order to achieve our goal. And now what's our closing percentage? So we can do reverse engineer the math. So we eventually, we know how many appointments we need every day in order to see enough people so that we close enough sales at this value that we're going to sell and the number of training sessions and packages that we need to, that we're going to achieve our goal. It's just math. It's math. And he was having, he was struggling a couple months in a row, he was struggling. And so, but I was, I'm a believer that there is no, Mr. Miyagi said, right? There is no bad student, only bad teacher. So okay, maybe I haven't maybe I haven't explained it to him well enough. So a new month is starting and we're doing the math. And then with each thing, say, okay, well, we're gonna need this many appointments a day. And he's just his head is hanging. He's like, Well, there's no way we can get that many appointments. Like that's there's not enough people. Well, we have to add, okay, in order to achieve our goal, we're gonna have to average this much per sale. And he's like, Oh, I don't think we're gonna get that out of these people that are coming. I don't think they have enough money to afford that package. And at some point I paused the conversation. I said, Well, hold on one hold on one second. I said, I said do you like your job? And he said, yeah. I said, you'd like to keep your job, right? He's, now he's starting to get a little bit nervous. He says, yeah. And I said, okay. I said, because I'm telling you what the expectations of the business are. I said, this is what ownership expects. I said, and it's reasonable. I believe it can be done. And so I'm not going to go back to ownership and say we can't do it because I believe it is possible. And I said, now I'm explaining to you what we need to do. And all you're telling me is why we can't do it. Because you know, the members don't have enough money, they're spending money on other things, they don't show up enough. Or they, but every time I bring you, tell you what we need to do, you're telling me that we can't do it. I said, you're convincing me to fire you. I said, and you don't realize it. I said, if you want to keep telling me all the reasons why you can't do the job that you've been hired to do, I said, then I'm going to, unfortunately, I really like you. I said, but I'm going to have to let you go and I'm going to have to get somebody in who believes that they can accomplish the goal. I said, I, I'm okay with going out there, but to give up before we even begin doesn't work. I said, so are you going to keep telling me why we can't do it? Or are you going to say, well, there must be a solution. So maybe we need to create a new different type of training package. If you're right, and the people aren't going to, if you can't afford that much, maybe we should be focusing on selling small group training instead of one-on-one -on -one training and the price point comes down. There has to be a solution, but the answer can't just be, oh, we can't do it. And so I'm going to quit. I said, and so. You know, that's a challenge and getting working, working through it 
again, tactfully and respectfully understanding that, you know, it's important to him or her, whoever somebody's working with to keep their job. I'd like to help them keep their job. I'd like to help them make more money. But there's a, but in order to, for that to happen, we have to do these things. And if we're not willing to do these things, then we don't get these. Like this isn't a, you know, you don't have to be here. You weren't, this isn't the army. You weren't drafted, right? So there's not a war going on. Like you're not drafted. This is at will employment. And we have an agreement. And the agreement is that you know, we've agreed on a compensation that we're going to pay you in order to do things. And if the things that we're asking you, we're not really asking. The things that we're telling you that you need to do to fulfill the expectations of your position, if they're not illegal, unethical, immoral, dangerous, then you're expected to do them. And if you do what we're telling you to do, and what we're telling you to do fails, but you're giving your best effort, now we know that that responsibility is on us. I have a number of processes that I follow. And I tell people, I'm like, listen, I'm going to share with you my methodology and you can use my methodology or not. doesn't matter to me. You can follow your own method if you want. But if you follow your own method and your method fails, now that's on you. I say, but if you do exactly what I ask you to do and it fails, now it's on me. And I'm going to be the one, like, I will put my neck on the line for you because you're doing exactly what I ask and I'm getting it wrong. I'm going to make sure that I shoulder that responsibility. But if you think you have a better solution. And sometimes their better solution actually does work. And then I learn from them. I'm like, oh, you just taught me something. It's that balancing act. You know, you know the uh, a real uh, a mentor, a great friend of mine, but a mentor of mine, uh, Mark Cohen, I hope he listens to this at some point, once said, he's run some of the biggest personal training programs in the industry. And he once said that confidence is knowing that you're great. Arrogance is thinking that you're better than anyone else. Right. And it's important for people to remember that as you're building a business. Like it's good to know that you're great, but remember you're not better than anybody else, including the people that you're hiring. It's, you're there to support those people. You need to add you need to make sure that you develop a culture where they feel comfortable coming to you to share bad news when something goes wrong. Because if they share bad news with you and you get angry and lose your temper and yell, all you're doing is conditioning them to hide the bad news. And then it's just gonna fester in the background. And it'll show up at some point and it'll blow up because it's a problem. But again, it's, it's like create an environment where people are going to be comfortable sharing bad news with you, where people are going to be comfortable knowing that they can fail and that one single failure it does not mean that they're necessarily going to lose their job. Understand that the importance is that, you know, that, again, no bad student, only bad teacher. Are you teaching your employees the right way to do it? And if not, if they're not getting it done, you know, assume that you're the one that's the problem. Do what you can to solve yourself rather than worry about what they may or may not be doing. Yeah, because you're really speaking about culture. The culture that you're creating inside of your organization is so important, right? Hey, every time that you bring me bad news, I, I want to fire you? No, no, just, hey, if it happens ongoing, ongoing, the same bad news over and over again, you're still, and is you're part of it, you're part of the bad news, then yeah, this might not be a good place for you. But no, I love culture. Culture is so big. Yeah, what usually happens in the process of understanding expectations, as you really do a good job with that, somebody will realize, oh, this really isn't the right fit for me. So I actually find that I'm, it's been less often in the most recent years of my career where I have to terminate somebody's employment. And more often where somebody just says, oh, I understand what the job is that they expect me to do. Yeah, I don't want to do that. And then we can leave, we can part friends. Like, okay, like this isn't the right spot for you. Every job isn't right for everybody. You know, don't try to, you know, and so... It's that communication and, and again, it, process of understanding expectations. It works 100% of the time. If somebody organize, communicate, educate, evaluate, modify, repeat, just keep doing it. It works 100% of the time. It does not fail. 
Now this goes, we can go back over here to the, uh, the fitness and the expectations of fitness industry, right? And so there's, there's things in the fitness industry, there's issues in any industry, honestly. I've been in, in many other industries and fitness industry right now, what do you see something that can be improved upon to grow stronger in the future? I think one of the things that this, this industry needs to do is it needs to create better compensation and career path growth for people entering the business. Unfortunately, most gym and studio owners are hiring people. I shouldn't say that. Maybe it's not most, but a lot. A lot. A lot yeah. of gym and studio Right. They hire people for it to work at the front desk and they pay the minimum wage. And if you're paying people the absolute least amount that you have to, then you shouldn't be surprised at the level of quality that you get, right? I believe that the smart owner is going to pay people as much as they can, rather as little as they have to. And so now it has to be a profitable business. So you can't just say, okay, well, in New York City, minimum wage is $15 an hour. So you can't just say, well, we don't want to pay people the minimum wage because we're going to get you know, the, you know, the, you know, the, the lowest quality of talent, perhaps. Um, we can't just say, okay, well, we're going to pay people $20 an hour. There has to be a financial budget that supports that. But that starting point, you start to get better people in and you clearly explain the expectations of the business to them. Then you're going to find, and this is where technology can be leveraged a lot to help the experience as well, right? The, I think that the advances of, in technology, which are amazing, not just in fitness, but certainly in fitness, they're happening not to replace people, but to rather highlight the magic of the personal experience. And the technology is there to just provide support around us so that that one-on-one -on -one human interaction is a magical moment. So when people leave, they're just like, wow, what just happened in there? Like I, if somebody comes into your studio or your gym and they leave feeling better than they did when they walked out or when they walked in, and that consistently happens every time they come in, they leave, I feel better. They're going to keep coming back. They're going to say good things about you. They're going to bring your friends. And that's, then that means that you need to, that it's the human interaction, which is going to make the magical experience happen. It's not going to be, you can have the newest technology today, but tomorrow it's no longer the newest technology. You can have the fanciest equipment today, but somebody else can have fancier equipment tomorrow. There's two points. And I'd love to dig a little bit deeper on this is because you mentioned them. It's your customer or the member, right? And then the team and retaining the team and the member are related. If you have a lot of people that are leaving on your team, they're just leaving and the members are leaving as well, something's going on. It's not the student, right? It's the teacher, <laughs> like you said earlier. In my opinion, one of the objectives of an organization in order to be successful, create an organization that is going to be highly desirable and sought out to work at. Right? People should be knocking on your door to come work there because they know the opportunities are so great. Hey, I'm going to be a part of this because I know when I'm a part of this, like, good things are happening. And what are you going to do to create that? And that's only going to happen in a business that's growing, where revenues are growing, which means people's compensation structures can be growing. The business is expanding, adding more locations or more divisions or whatever is happening. It's a growth-oriented business. So if you can create a business where people are, it's highly sought after to work out, then you're doing something right. And the customers are going to be happy because nobody wants to work at a business where the customers are all miserable and unhappy. And it, it, I focus on a ground up approach. So when I work with an organization, you'll hear commonly the term, well, what's the org chart look like? And in an org chart, typically the CEO sits at the top. And I've 
been the CEO of a few companies. And so I know like, oh, you normally would be here at the top. And then there's your VPs and then directors and managers and then frontline staff and maintenance staff, et cetera. But I, for several years now, embrace a different perspective. It's an organizational tree. And the CEO in the organizational tree is at the base of the tree. And I like to think of the CEO as half of the CEO is underground and half of the CEO is above ground. And the part that's above ground is there surrounded by their VPs and other C-suite executives. And then above them are the directors and above them are the managers and above them, the tree starts to branch off. It's the different departments and divisions and the people at the top of the tree that are enjoying the beautiful sky where the fruit is happening and the fruit appears. Those are the most, like, those are the most important people in the organizations. The, the people, the executives, you know, we can see that look up once in a while and see that bright sky above. But that's not what we're here for. We're, we're here to lift other people. And then under the ground, the CEO is connected to the shareholders of the organization, the history of the organization, the culture of the organization. Those roots have to go really down deep because despite the best efforts, right? Uh, what's that quote from Mike Tyson? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, <laughs> yes. right? So, right, in an insurance policy, like there's an act of God, right? So hurricanes happen, pandemics happen, earthquakes happen. So you could be running your business and something, an act of God can come along and it can uproot every other tree if the roots aren't really deep. But a tree that has really deep roots, even if maybe some branches get torn off and it gets beat up a little bit, but if the roots are deep and strong and maintains its position, and then it's going to grow again in the future and it's going to survive. And that's the approach that I like to go with. So you know, when I'm in an organization, I report up to people. Right. Are, you know, me. I'm here to support you. If it's wow, yeah, you know, that's my that's my purpose here is to support you. You're not. That's refreshing, and it makes a difference. And people appreciate that. I want to see like a picture of it because I'm I'm like I have one. I'll send you one afterwards. Of oh, course, I have one. That'd be so good, so good. That'd be great. Thank you. It does. I bet it does. I'd funny funny enough. Uh, asked one of our team members to create an org chart for us. So love it. Flip it upside down, make it an org tree. You're going to be much happier with the results. An org tree. You're going to be much happier with the results. Yeah. And I'll send you a sample afterwards. So it's interesting not to beat a dead horse, but I want to talk a little bit more about what do you think about between hiring employees and then contractors? Because there's some gyms that use contractors. They don't necessarily W2 them or anything. And it's just contractors into the organization. Well, you've got to be really careful there, right? So if, if the job you're giving them, you can call some, you can pay somebody as a contractor, but if the IRS says, no, they're an employee, I've heard some horror stories where the IRS comes knocking later and says, yeah, you owe many years of back taxes because these people, you said they were 1099s, but that's not really the work that they were performing. And so understanding the difference in the requirements, the legally mandated requirements of what does that defines one or another is important. I think that there's a great opportunity for people to work with people at a consultant level because they can bring, they're going to bring experience to the table and they can be a contractor and you're getting their experience without having to pay for them full time. And that can be great. But the employees, again, you're creating a, a members of an organization, a family, a team. And that's the long-term growth for a company, I think, is to build a team of employees supported by outside contractors and some key strategic areas. And so there's a balance of them. But most of your team members, you can say, hey, I'm going to pay you as in 1099 and you're going to be an independent contractor. But just because you say it doesn't mean the IRS agrees. So people should be very careful about that because I've heard a number of stories where people's businesses have been crippled 
by the IRS back tax problems that have accumulated over years where they did that. Yeah. Stay yourself, stay yourself out of trouble. <laughs> Keep yourself out of trouble. That's for sure. So in your progress, in your, in your journey, again, there must've been, of course, some specific person or a group of people that helped you and influenced you. Who would you say stands out in your mind? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I've had a number of people that I consider mentors. One I've mentioned already, Doug Levine, the founder of Crunch. And Doug was tough to work for. And I've told him that. And he knows that. You know, sort of working with Doug back in the day was sort of like a boot camp, you know, where he was. But the lessons that he taught me on, in terms of marketing and, and strategic brand development you know, were things that I hadn't had any schooling in. And he taught me in the real world. And you know, those continue to add value to my experience today. He taught me some things about management where I saw the way that he did things. I'm like, oh, okay, I don't want to do it that way. You know, I'd like to be able to do it with less of a drill sergeant mentality, but I'd like to be able to get the same results. So it requires me to think outside the box. And you know, is there a way that I can accomplish those? But Doug, without question, taught me a tremendous amount. The boy going down the list, Stephen Nitkin, who is the one of the founders of Psych Fitness, a boutique indoor cycling studio chain that I as the COO for five years. I owe a tremendous amount to him. He still teaches me every day. Every, I still refer to him as my boss, because, El Jefe, because he, uh, he really has some great insight and was able to teach me a lot. And it, it's really everybody every day. You know, I was just in a team meeting on a project that I'm consulting on earlier today. Now tell us about it. And it was great. So I'm doing, so I begin my degrees in movement science. And so this is a small studio startup project. And I'm actually having some fun because I'm teaching classes, which I haven't done in a long time. So I'm teaching hit classes, which is great. We're developing a program. And he's a very experienced coach. Now I'm the interim, in the role, I'm sort of serving as like an interim studio director at this location, Rome 149 in New York. And Stuart, who's uh, one of the, uh, like a, a renowned running coach, was able to give me some tips on how to improve my teaching style. And so he was mentoring me, right? So everybody around you all the time has the ability to teach you something if you're willing to go slowly enough to listen rather than just run by, right? So practice listening. Practice listening. That's good. That's huge. I mean, I know you mentioned earlier that you're a believer and that's another thing, like listen to God, right? For me, certainly. Absolutely. Right. It's, you know, there's a, if I could go back in time and offer a piece of advice to, you know, Roger, you know, from 25 years ago. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. You're getting ahead of the schedule. This is one of the questions. One second. Oh. One second. But it's applicable. <laughs> but it's applicable. Go ahead. Please. No, I'm teasing you. I love it. I love going off the cuff, man. This is great. It would be that don't lose faith just because you don't understand why something's happening at the time. Things happen and then you might understand later. It might be years before you understand why something happened. But in my belief system, at least, things happen for a reason. But just because they happen for a reason doesn't mean that I'm going to understand the reason at the moment which it happens. And so sometimes the most important things that I need to learn happened as a result of a very difficult experience. I, you've noticed I reference quotes a lot. I use quotes the way I think a, a quarterback in the NFL would use in his offensive uh, playbook, right? So they, they help guide me at different times. Uh, a quote I came across a few years ago by a gentleman named Mullah Nasruddin said, he said that good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. This has been great. I've really loved it, Roger. You have to kind of I enjoyed of it very much as well, Andres. Practical, spiritual, and you know, I know I took some stuff away, so I hope everybody else did as well. Mm -hmm. 
Ben, and, same uh, here. I really appreciate it, Anders. Yeah, thank you so much. And so, you got it. Thanks so much, Roger. And I'll see you next time here in the growth zone. You got it. Take care. Take care. Man, that was such a fun episode. I really enjoyed what Roger said about how he reflected on the way his perception has changed. You know, giving you advice he knows now, especially on going slow to learn more lessons. By the way, what was your favorite takeaway from the episode? Connect with us at Meet Esco on Instagram and share your message with us. We would really love to hear your thoughts. Also, be sure to grab your no-cost custom QR code flyer at reviewbiz.io QR code. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode today. And if you haven't done so already, please go ahead and subscribe to the show on the platform you're currently listening on and leave us a rating and review on Apple and podcast. Well, hopefully you're listening on those platforms or wherever you're listening on. It would really mean the world to us. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's the place where you'll get some amazing content as well as a chance to never miss an episode. As always, I want to thank you so much for your encouragement and I truly appreciate you listening to our podcast and helping us improve with your comments. And I'll be seeing you next time in the Growth Zone. Our show today was brought to you by our incredible team, starting with production from TSE Studios, music consulting by Tyler Schmeling, our lovely guest coordinator, Anna Ponce, and focus juice from our project coordinator, Mauricio Murillo, and myself, Andres Escobar, as the host. Thanks to ReviewBiz for sponsoring this episode. And if you want to get the most out of your review strategy, then go to reviewbiz.io forward slash try so you can get your first five reviews from your real members for only $1.